Well, good morning. Morning. Morning, Stan, I love that. As soon as you say morning, morning, it's like being back at school, isn't it? Not that I know much about that. I uh, spent most of my time outside the classroom, believe it or not. Um, I can't believe, Reg, you got all the credit for this. He's not even going to... I did all this. Listen, I... I've been slaving away here week after week. Just showing Reg. No, no, to the left, to the left, to the left. Bless you, Reg. What a wonderful... It's, it's, it's almost Christmas. It's almost Christmas. The, the older I'm getting, the more I look forward to Christmas because you can just be a kid again. You can just enjoy family time. You can enjoy time with friends and we remember what it's all about. It's about God coming to be with us. Um, Good morning, my name's Santino, I'm one of the leaders here. It's a privilege to be preaching this morning. We're going to be going back into our series in John. I'm going to be looking at the resurrection. Uh, before we do that, I just it's a sad day today. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Finished yesterday. <laughs> to be honest, I have no idea what I'm going to do for the next few weeks. Just being honest before you. It was bringing me great pleasure and joy. You know, I have my kids laid out at the front. We do the eating challenges, see what we can find in the garden. Um, Those poor squirrels. (laughs) I love that show. I absolutely love that show. I'm going to miss it. has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning. just want you to know what's in my heart, what's truly deep down in my heart. Anton Deck and I'm a Celebrity. Get me out of here. Okay, we're carrying on a series... It's come up behind me on the screen. Uh, We've been going through a series through the Gospel of John. John was a guy who was a friend of Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He saw all that Jesus did, said. uh, Some of his uh, most amazing miracles, John was there. So this is a written account from an eyewitness, one of Jesus' pals, a guy called John. Okay, that's where we're at. We're in this letter, this, this book, this account called John. And we're through this series... As you've heard me and Paul say time and time again, we're looking at whether this Jesus is incomparable or completely irrelevant. He's either utterly amazing without equal or he's irrelevant, pointless. And that's for us all to come to the decision. And I don't want you to think if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, it ends when you give your life to him. Your whole journey is one of wonder, is one of continuing looking to the sun, looking to this Jesus because he is utterly amazing. Last time I spoke, we were in John 19, if you remember, and we looked at the death of Jesus. We looked at crucifixion. And as I said, in a few weeks' time, I'm going to be speaking on the resurrection, and today's the day. The two have to come together. Jesus killed and Jesus risen. That's the gospel message, in a nutshell. I'll be unpacking it more as I go. So we looked at the death, how Jesus died. He was crucified and nailed to a a Roman cross, a a wooden cross. That's how he died, and we looked at why he died. If you remember, I talked about this this huge problem of a thing called sin. Not just actions, but the root cause, what's, what's going on in the heart. So Jesus came to die for this huge issue of humans, humankind, if you like, this the heart issue, a thing called sin. Today, the focus is on his resurrection. Now, the claims of the Christian faith is that three days after Jesus died, he rose again. 
That's our claim. That's my claim to you this morning. That three days after Jesus was publicly killed, people saw him killed, three days later he rose again. Jesus is alive. That's the message of this morning. Jesus is alive. And do you know what? Hallelujah. As I was preparing for this, I'd forgotten. It's so easy to forget. We go through the motions, and then suddenly I realised again, I think it's the Holy Spirit just whispering to me, he's alive. And do you know what? He's coming back. He's going to come back. Use that as a way to reach your friends and family. Drop that in. Don't, don't try and convince them of sin and all that. Just say, Jesus is alive, and he's coming back, and see what that does. Because it will cause discussion. The title of the message is, He's Alive. Please turn to John 20. John 20. If you haven't got your Bible with you, it will come up on the screen behind. Before we do that, before I read, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everything you've done. Who you are, what you've achieved, what we're going to look at this morning. And I just pray, would you wash us with your word? I pray for your living, active, abiding word to come and live and act and abide in our hearts. Come and change us by your word this morning. Please, Holy Spirit, reveal this wonderful Jesus to all of us here. Remove blindfolds. Heal calloused hearts. Change minds. Show us the sun. Show us this wonderful Jesus again. The one who died and who rose. We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Before we go into John 20, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit just to put us into context here for John 19. So you don't have to go too far, it's just before 20. John 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, now Jesus is on the cross. When he had received the drink, basically the Roman guards gave him something to drink because he says, I thirst. So when he's nailed to the cross, Jesus says these words, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirits. Now I'm going to jump to verse 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. I love this. This is John talking about himself. The one Jesus loved. And said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. To Simon, sorry, to Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Basically, they ran for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, this is John again, listen to how humble he is. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. John just wanted everyone to know, I'm faster than Peter. (laughs) And he reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there. But they didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived. 
<laughs> Simon was behind me. And he went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well, as well as the burial cloth that had been round Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself and separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from the scripture, though, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb. She was crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at his head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away. She said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said. Just, just imagine those words. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking it was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll go and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned round and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't, don't hold on to me, Mary, for I have to go back to the Father. I have to return to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them that I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary went to the disciples with news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This morning I have three hopefully very simple headings. We're going to pack out some detail. First heading is the resurrection is real and it's personal. The second heading, without the resurrection, basically no resurrection, no gospel. And the third heading, what does this resurrection mean for us today? What's its significance? How do we apply this right here, right now? So firstly, the resurrection is real and personal. For time's sake, I'm not going to turn to it, but in John 19, there was a guy called Nicodemus and a guy called Joseph of Arimathea. Now, if you remember Nicodemus, back earlier in John, he was a Pharisee. He was one of these religious guys that questioned Jesus at night. And it's interesting to find that in John 19, it's Nicodemus that is taking Jesus' body down from the cross. He sees, remember Nicodemus, uh, Jesus says to him, you must be born again. Something must have happened in Nicodemus to say that this Jesus is completely incomparable. Absolutely amazing. Because he, with Joseph, is taking Jesus' body down from the cross. And they're preparing his body. They're wrapping him in something like a hundred pounds of linen, spices, aloes and myrrh. They're, They're anointing his body for burial. And then we see this in John 20 that I've just read. Jesus appears to Mary. This is how real the resurrection is. It's not, Mary didn't hear about it. She encountered it. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't at first realise it was Jesus. Although Jesus had said, he'd prophesied this, he'd told his followers time and time again, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. They're going to mock me, they're going to flog me, they're going to kill me. But then in three days I'll rise. That was his message to his followers. She didn't recognise him. And then he said, Mary. 
Mary. She cries out, Rabboni, teacher, you're back. Who is it you're looking for? Jesus said. Who is it you're looking for? So Jesus, very real, very there, appears to Mary. Further on in the same account, in John 20, he appears to the other disciples. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were all together, listen to this, with doors locked, because they feared the Jews. They were hidden away. They'd just seen their leader killed. They were hidden away. It was a week later, they were hidden away for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and simply says this, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. It's me. Look at my hands. Look at my side. It's me. Jesus reveals himself to his followers. And I love this account. Jesus reveals himself to doubting Thomas. Good old Thomas. I put myself in Thomas's shoes. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples. This is further in John's account, in John 20. Jesus came. He wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him. They told Thomas. We've seen the Lord, Thomas. But he said to them, do you know what? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was there. Thomas was with them. With the doors locked, Jesus came in again and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, picture this. Thomas, come here. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach and put your hand into my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. So what was Thomas's response? My Lord and my God. Jesus is here. He's back. I've seen him. I have seen and touched him. And he's back. Now you might say, yeah, but these were his closest friends. Of course, then, you're going to tell us that because these were his crew, if you like. These were his gang. These were the guys that hung around with him. So they were deluded. They were just hoping for the best. Couldn't this be all part of the conspiracy? All made up, wishful thinking. But he also appeared to a guy called Saul. Now, this guy called Saul was a hater of Christians. He would have hated many of you lot. He would have wanted you dead. He would have wanted to make every effort to stop the message that we're proclaiming to Hastings. And Jesus appeared to him. In the book of Acts, chapter 9, we read read these, the first opening verses. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters for the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, basically that belonged to Jesus, whether man or woman, he might take them prisoner to Jerusalem. Listen to this. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And do you know what Saul's response was? 
Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. And then Paul's, sorry, Saul's conversion, he goes from being a hater of Christians, a hater of Jesus, to writing most of the New Testament, to being ready to lay his life down for this Lord Jesus. He wants to encourage the church. He then goes, he commits his whole life to spreading this gospel, this good news around the earth, and his name changes. He goes from being called Saul to Paul. And then in 1 Corinthians, he gives us this account. So we've got it documented. He said, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died according to the scriptures for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose, all according to the scriptures. Paul's very clear that he wants to take them back in history, just as it says he would. And he says, after this, he appeared to Peter. This is Paul convincing the Corinthian church. He appeared to Peter. Guys, he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers all at the same time. Most of, most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I love that. Do you know, death for a Christian is not death. It's just falling asleep. Some have just fallen asleep because they're going to wake again. Then he appeared to James, then the other apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. For I'm the least of the apostles, and I don't deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. So that's Mary, the disciples, Thomas, Paul. Jesus appeared to me. Santino. 2001, he appeared to me. And he's appeared to many of you here. That's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus appeared. I was like Paul, but not hating the church. But I remember just hearing, I know you. I know you. And it was like, my goodness, this is real. My attitude would have been one like many others. I would have mocked, you guys are crazy. I would have doubted like Thomas. Do you know what? Even on Alpha, unless you guys roll him out, I'm not going to believe. But then one day, like Mary, you guys aren't crazy. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I have seen the Lord. A Christian is not someone that's simply heard. A Christian is someone that's encountered, that's encountered the risen Saviour. The Christian faith the message of Jesus Christ has expanded all over the world. All over the world. It's stretched throughout the nations because of one very simple truth. Jesus is alive. <laughs> That's why it's gone. That's why it's spread. Because Christ is alive. Jesus was dead and now he's alive again. It's not legend, it's not story, it's not fairy tale, it's reality with very real proof. That's my first heading. Now I want to go into no resurrection, no gospel message. Before we do that, let me just jump back. 
didn't realise my notes were on two sides. <laughs> Very quickly. The tomb is empty because there's no one in it, okay? But there are objections to this. So I don't want to just move on without giving you some more weight, if you like. There's three objections that I've just thrown in here to why it was empty and why the sightings of Jesus might have taken place. Firstly, Jesus didn't die is an objection. That he swooned, that he fainted, that he recovered in some way. Now, he'd just gone through Roman flogging, to which many died just through that. He was then nailed to a wooden cross, and if you look in John 19, a a spear was then pierced through his side, just to make sure. And the separation of blood and water, people tell us, is a sure sign that death has occurred. So, flogged, nailed, spear right through his side. Then he was wrapped in about 100 pounds of linen and then left in a tomb for three days. Jesus died. Okay, Jesus died. Some would say that, well, maybe someone removed the body. Now, I want to just look at this very quickly. Why on earth would the religious authorities do that? They wanted to stop this message. Why then remove the body, which would help this message grow? One, the disciples, why would they do it? They didn't have enough energy. They were hidden away. They would face death. It doesn't make sense. The tomb, it says in Matthew 27, 62 to 66, was guarded. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, went to Pilate and said, please, let us station guard there because we know that he said to his followers that he'll rise again, so we just want to make sure. We want to make every effort to cover our bases. So Pilate agreed to have Roman guard situated there. Now these weren't Mickey Mouse men like you and I. Excuse, excuse me. These were Roman soldiers. They wouldn't have fallen asleep. They would have been on guard 24-7. So, with them on guard, how did someone not only break a Roman seal, because there was a seal put over the stone, Jesus was put in a tomb, then a stone moved across, then guards... So the Roman guards would have all had to have fallen asleep, the seal broken, still asleep, the stone moved, they're still asleep, bodies stolen, still asleep. It doesn't make sense. Another objection is that it was all hallucinations. Jesus' sightings were all hallucination. This is where it gets fun. Because Jesus appears to loads of people, as I've read, over a period of 40 days. In Acts, he he met with them for, Luke's account says, he he met with them for a period of 40 days, he taught them, he ate with them, and then he returned to the Father. 500 people. All four Gospels, the book of Acts, 1 Corinthians, all talk about Jesus appearing at various times to various people in various places. That's one big hallucination. So I understand hallucinations are usually isolated to one individual. Not 500. All at different times. And then I've read to you who Jesus appeared to. So the Gospel is Jesus has risen and it's very real. Second heading, no resurrection, no Gospel. No resurrection. The gospel means good news. That's what it means. Good news. 
John 20, 18, Mary returns to the disciples with great news. Good news. She says, I have seen the Lord. That's what she returned with. Without the risen Jesus, she would have no news to share with them. She would have come back in the same way as she'd gone out. Grief-stricken, completely gutted, heart-heavy, but that's not how she returned. Mary returns with great joy, great news, the best news for his followers. They would have just been expecting Mary, but she comes in with news. I've sinned the Lord. The disciples were locked away. Their leader had just been killed in a horrible way. Imagine Mary's excitement. Imagine Mary's utter desperation of getting this news across. She has news that's going to change the whole of history and she's desperate to tell them, he's alive. Jesus is alive. That's why the gospel is called good news. It all hinges on that fact. Without the resurrection, Jesus being alive, there is no gospel. Jesus risen from the dead validates the whole message. It underpins the whole thing, if you like. No risen Jesus, no gospel message. Simple as that. Have you thought about that? No risen Jesus, no message. There's a, there's a Bible teacher, a guy called R.C. Sproul, who writes this. To deny that Jesus' body was raised from the tomb destroys the message of the gospel. Without a risen Jesus, there is no news, let alone good news. There's nothing. If Jesus didn't die... Sorry, if Jesus didn't rise, then he was just a martyr. He wasn't a saviour. Paul, this apostle, this convert to Christianity, this lover of Jesus, writes this to the church in Corinth. And if Christ has not been raised, they were doubting the resurrection. He was challenging their thinking. He was saying, it all hangs on this, guys. And he says, if Christ has not been raised, listen to how powerful this is. Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we have been found to be false witnesses of God. Then he jumps on, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's the impact. That's the importance. Without the resurrection, the whole thing crumbles into nothingness nothingness. Our preaching would be useless. There's no point me standing here. My preaching would be in vain. Our faith would be useless and futile, meaning pointless, without point, meaningless. We would still be trapped in our sin. No risen Jesus, no forgiveness of sins. But Paul goes on to say, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He has been lifted up. And in Romans, Paul writes this letter again, he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. Do you see, salvation is two sides of the same coin. That Jesus was given over to death for our sin, but he was raised to life for our salvation. No risen, no salvation. 
Jesus is not a martyr, he's a saviour. Now that's good news, right? That is wonderful news. Heading two, without the gospel there is no message. Heading three, and to finish with this, what does a resurrection mean for us? This is the most important point, if you like. Before we get into the application of this heading, I want to make a very quick point because I think this will help us. Hopefully this will build faith into us. This is the point, that Jesus was resurrected into new eternal life. He wasn't revived. It wasn't a near miss. He didn't raise to then die again. He was resurrected into new eternal life. When Jesus died on the cross, we see in John 19, it says he gave up his spirit. So Jesus' body and spirit separated. That's what death is. It's a separation of body and spirit. He says, Father, I give you my spirit. And at that, Jesus' spirit went to be with God the Father. I give you my spirit. And his body was given over to the elements to be buried in a tomb. He was dead for three days, then resurrection took place. Jesus rose with a new body, one that would never again die. Do you know how significant that is? Look at all of our bodies. Not, not in an intimate way, okay? Just subtly. They're ageing, right? They're ageing. Jesus rose to never die again. One that would, a body that would never again be subject to the physical ailments of life. Jesus was tempted in every every way. He was hungry and thirsty. His friend Lazarus died. Um, he, he, He felt grief and sorrow and temptation. He sweated drops of blood at the turmoil of the cross. But Jesus rose to never again experience that. Jesus received a body that wouldn't age, sag, wear away, experience pain, sickness, suffering and death. He cannot and will not die again, ever. And this is what it says in Romans. This is going into application. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Jesus defeated this rotten, stinking enemy we all have before us called death. Many of us have experienced it firsthand, very recently, very painfully. Jesus came to undo it. Jesus came to defeat this stinking enemy, death. And he hit it head on and he beat it. Wayne Grudem A Bible teacher says Christ's resurrection was not simple coming back from the dead as others had experienced, such as Lazarus. Rather, when Christ rose, rather when Jesus rose from the dead, he began a new kind of human life in which he would have a perfect body, one that was no longer subject to weakness, ageing, death or decay. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had a body that would live eternally. For Jesus had put on the imperishable and had put on immortality. Application. So what can we expect? 
Feel free to shout it out. So what can we expect? This is our application. Exactly the same as Jesus. Exactly the same as Jesus. The Bible says we're going to be like him. We'll, be, we'll meet him in the air and we will be like him. We're going to receive resurrected, brand new, eternal, immortal bodies. Ones that will never spoil, perish or fade. Bodies that will never again experience sadness, sickness, suffering, death. Because Jesus rose, we will also. We will rise to be like him. It says in Romans, if we have been united with him like this in his death, if some of you aren't convinced, let the word of God wash over you. If we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Let me read two scriptures. John says, earlier in John, let me show you a bit more how Jesus applies this to us. Earlier in John's Gospel, these are Jesus' words. It said, Jesus says, just as Moses was lifted, just sorry, just Moses, just as Moses lifted the snake up in the desert, Jesus is taking his followers back to Old Testament. He's wanting them to see from the start of history, God's had a plan. God's had a plan. Just as Moses lifted up the snake, just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, the Lord Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And John, at his friend's tomb, he says, Jesus says at Lazarus' tomb, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Let me say that again. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. 1 Corinthians, Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen to sleep. In a sense, he was the seed. He was like the original apple seed. Ping, flicked out. And unless a seed fell to the floor and died, fruit won't come. Jesus was the first fruit. He is the first batch, the prototype, the first crop, our model of what's ahead of us. So as we look to Jesus, the one risen, that's what we see will happen to us. We will rise to be like him. I want to read you one account from the... Would anyone mind if I slapped myself around the face? No, go ahead, Sam. We'll come and help you. I want to read you something, and I'm going to, read, I'm going to finish by reading from my son's storybook Bible, because I want it to open up your minds. Listen to this. Listen, Paul says, I tell you a mystery... We will not all sleep when he returns. 
We'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Pathetic trumpet, wasn't it? For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and will be changed. For the perishable, that's us, must clothe itself. We're going to be wrapped with the imperishable. And the mortal, our poor little mortal bodies, will be wrapped with immortality. And this is the saying that we need to hold on to. Death has been swallowed up in victory. The resurrection changes everything. When Jesus' followers saw him in John 20, they were overjoyed. That's what want to happen this morning. We're going to come back in worship in a few ticks. Actually, Alid and Band, if you can come up. We're going to worship the Lord. As they're preparing themselves, I just want to say a few more things and then we're going to worship. The disciples were overjoyed. Mary said, I have seen the Lord. If you're a believer here this morning and something has run dim in your heart, if you've given yourself to Jesus and this resurrection is not gripping you, day after day after day, listen, it's a challenge to me as well. As I said to you, I was convicted of this preparing. I was thinking, do I still believe that Jesus is alive? Because if he is, it changes everything. It's how you look at sickness. It's how you look at death. It's how you look at hurt. It changes everything. Now, if you've confessed him as Lord and Saviour, I want it to grab you. As we sing and worship, I want it to grab you this morning. I'm just going to read very quickly something from this wonderful little book, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It says on the bottom, every story whispers his name. Why don't you close your eyes? Let these words of a simple children's story grab you again. Jesus' friends gently carried Jesus. They laid him in a new tomb carved out of rock. How could Jesus die? What had gone wrong? What did it mean? They didn't know anything anymore except that they knew their hearts were breaking. That's the end of Jesus. But just to be sure, they had strong soldiers to guard the tomb. They hauled a huge stone in front of the door of the tomb so that no one could get in or out. Jesus' friends were so sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Jesus was the rescuer, wasn't he? The king that God had promised us. It wasn't supposed to end like this, yeah. But whoever said anything about the end? Just before sunrise on the third day, God sent an earthquake and an angel from heaven. When the guards saw the angel, they fell down with fright. The angel rolled the huge stone away and sat on top of it and waited. And at the first glimmer of dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other woman headed to the tomb. They headed there to wash Jesus' body. The early morning sun slanted through the ancient olive trees, drops of dew glistening on the leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. The friends walked quietly along the hilly path through the olive groves until they reached the tomb and immediately they noticed something odd. It was wide open. They peered through the opening of the dark tomb, but wait, Jesus' body had gone. 
And something else. A shining man was there with clothes made of lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said. But they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. The angel asked, what are you doing here? This is a tomb. Tombs are for dead people. The woman couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's alive again. And their hearts leapt with joy. And the angel laughed in such gladness that they felt for a moment as if they had woken from a nightmare. The other women rushed home, but Mary stayed behind. How? How could it be true? Jesus was definitely dead. How could he be alive again? Just then Mary heard someone else in the garden. Perhaps as a gardener, she thought, he'll tell me where Jesus' body is. I don't know where they've laid him. She, she said, I don't know where Jesus is. Mary urgently asked, I can't find him, but, but it was all right. Jesus knew exactly where she was and he found her, Mary. One person said her name like that. She couldn't hear anything apart from her heart thumping. She turned around. She could just about make out a figure. She slanted her eyes to see and she thought she was dreaming, but she wasn't dreaming. She was seeing and she saw Jesus. Mary fell to the ground. Sudden tears filled her eyes. Great sobs shook her whole body and all she wanted to do for that moment was to cling onto him and never let him go. You'll be able to hold me later, Mary, Jesus gently whispered to her, as I always will be close to you. But now, go and tell others that I am alive. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have risen from the dead. I thank you that you are alive, reigning and ruling, king of the earth. Thank you that your victory won us salvation. And we're going to just now simply worship you for who you are, the risen, conquering Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord, and I ask you to stand. You can open your eyes. We're going to um, give it over now to Alid and the band. They're going to lead us. Please don't look to them, though. Please let us look to this risen Lord Jesus.